Hey Vista, so good to gather with you this morning, Sunday, May 23rd, or whenever you're gathering with us, because we do love to gather however that happens uh, right now online, but we're looking forward to the chance to, to, to have that change in, in, uh, in the weeks that are uh, coming, and I'll say something about that in just a second, uh, because this is such an important time of year. We are looking forward to gathering in all the ways that we can because we know that this is a, a moment uh, where, where many things are transitioning. Uh, we've, got, we've got people graduating, for instance, right? People graduating from high school or from college. Uh, and that is such an important moment and we want to celebrate with you. We know that those are moments of, of relief, uh, moments to take stock in, in growth, moments to celebrate what God has done in your life over however many years. And so we want to celebrate that with you. Uh, so if you are graduating from high school or graduating from college or, or someone that you know and love is, all, is graduating, we would just love if you would let us know. Uh, contact Leanne Dewey. Uh, her, her information is, is in the description below. And uh, her email address is there. And, and just let her know that you have uh, someone you know that's graduating or you yourself are graduating because we'd love to celebrate your accomplishment and what God is doing in and through your life right now. We love to, to hear those kinds of stories. We, we love to see the story of God being told in those particular and individual ways. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we're looking forward to gathering back together in person every week starting next week, May 30th. Starting May 30th, we're going to be gathering as a church community each Sunday morning. No RSVP necessary, no reservation necessary. We're going to be gathering for one church service each Sunday going forward. And man, are we excited for that. Um, we're, we're going to have uh, masks be optional, uh, a chance to be together uh, in the way that you feel comfortable, a chance to, uh, to lift God's story up together. And we're just excited about the way that's going to continue on through the summer and going on forward. Uh, another thing that's exciting for, for us is that we're going to be offering uh, kids programming, kindergarten all the way through fifth grade, uh, every other Sunday. Another chance to, to kind of remove some of the barriers and bring our, our community uh, into the same space together. And we're just excited for that because we know that telling God's story, uh, telling our stories and seeing how they fit into God's story, all of that is beautiful and good and necessary in the life of the believer. We're, we're excited for that. Uh, and, and we're excited also to be worshiping right now with you. Uh, I want to hand it off to the worship team, uh, the, the worship offering that they have prepared. I hope it stirs in your heart a sense that God is telling a story. I hope it stirs in your heart that God has a plan for your story to, to be grafted into the, the story, into his story. Uh, so, so lift your voice, turn your hearts towards him, Sing along with the worship team, uh, with, the, with the worship that they prepared. And then let's gather together and let's think about what God is doing in our lives. Thanks to the worship team. Uh, thank you guys for leading us in worship. Uh, it's so important to, to remind ourselves of the, the stories that, that are true, that God has told throughout history and the stories that God is telling in our lives and, and lifting our voice as something unique to add in that, in that way that God is grafting our stories into his. Um, and maybe this time of year, as much as any, is, a, is an important time of year to be telling stories, uh, to be listening to each other's stories, because it is a time of transition. We're moving from spring into summer, uh, moving from school year into, into vacation mode for some people. Uh, it, it, I mean, right now, right now outside is 88 degrees. 
88 degrees in May, 88 degrees. And for, for my family, what that means is, well, it means baseball. We got three uh, of our kids playing some form of baseball this summer. So we're stretched all over Westerville all week long, trying to get in uh, the, the, the games and, and see our kids play. And man, is that fun and all the stories that come out of it. Uh, this time of year also for me means that I'm actually watching NBA basketball which is not something that I tend to do. It's not my favorite form of basketball. I'm not really enamored with the style of basketball that is NBA basketball, but it's playoff time. And this, this past week, uh, it, it was the, the play-in tourney. Uh, so I caught a few games this past week, and it reminded me of a story of a moment that actually really struck me. Um, there was this moment where, um, I think it was maybe five years ago, there was a player uh, who had been rather hyped uh, coming up through, you know, the, the the sort of circuit as a younger player in high school and moving through there. Uh, his name is Lance Stevenson. Maybe you know the name, or maybe maybe you know his uh, his nickname. He was always known as Born Ready. He was born ready, I guess. He's he's born ready. He's from New York City and pretty much, you know, was destined for the NBA for you know the longest time. But he had kind of these ups and downs. He attached to different teams and played different kinds of roles. And that was a little bit sort of, I don't know, tough for him, I think, emotionally, because, you know, he spent his whole life thinking NBA stardom was in his, in his future. Um, and I remember there was a time where he had actually been out of the league a little bit. Uh, he had trouble latching onto a team for a couple of years. And then he finally found his way back in, found a team that was really willing to kind of bring him in. Uh, make him a part of something uh, bigger. It was the Pacers, actually. Uh, my parents, you know, they went to school in Indiana. My dad's from Indianapolis. So I've watched the Pacers for a lot of years. So I was paying attention. And I remember his first game back, Lance Stevenson, born ready. And they were playing against the Toronto Raptors, which have been, you know, a really good team over the last decade or so. Uh, even won a championship at one point. And I remember this distinctly because Lance Stevenson was on the floor as the game was ending. And it was his first game back in the league after kind of being a journeyman there for a little bit. And uh, they were beating the Raptors. It was a big win. It was a good win. I remember they were up by quite a lot, actually. And usually when you're up by that many points, when the clock is rolling down, you kind of just dribble it out and you just, you know, it's, it's the right thing to do, right? But Lance Stevenson was overcome with excitement. So in the last seconds, uh, he takes the ball uh, and, and he, he races down the court for a layup, uncontested layup. And uh, immediately it turned into like uh, tempers flaring. You know, the, the Raptors, even people that you don't necessarily usually associate with tempers on the basketball court were getting in his face. And there was this, you know, almost, it almost came to blows. And... Uh, I remember thinking like, oh no, here we go. And I, I, I remember for that reason, I actually stuck around. I, I watched the, 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 uh, the, the post-game conference, the, the press conference, because I wanted to see like what people would say about it. And they asked Lance Stevenson about it, born ready. And they said, you know, what, what were you thinking? Like what, what came over you? Like what is this? And he tried to explain himself. He, he tried to say, in a sense, this. He said, Listen, I was so excited to be a part of something bigger than myself. I was so excited to, to be contributing to a story that was larger than my story. And 
then he sort of s slipped into another mode and he said, and I just really wanted people to notice. I thought it was this very interesting tension. He wanted to be a part of something bigger than himself, but he, people, he wanted people to notice that he was a part of it. He wanted to sort of stick out amongst a larger group of people. Uh, what an interesting sort of conflicting set of instincts. The deep desire to be a part of something important, larger than life, bigger than, than ourselves, and this deep-seated desire to stand out in that story. It actually reminds me a little bit of uh, my favorite story. Uh, I should actually say it this way. I should say it's my favorite story, but the, the way it was told in musical form, uh, Les Mis is what I'm talking about. There's a scene in Les Mis. I think you should watch it. Anyway, in Les Mis, there's this guy, his name is Marius, and uh, he is kind of a, you know, uh, uh, affluent kid, and he's studying in Paris, and he's getting swept up in this revolutionary fervor. And, uh, you know, he's actually really excited to be a part of this bigger story. Um, and, well, then he falls in love. He, he's swept off his feet. He's actually, in, in the way that the story tells it, he's giving this speech and he sees, um, he sees Cosette. And now he's got this inner turmoil. What story does he want to tell? Does he want to be a part of the bigger story? Or does he want to prioritize himself in the story and, and chase after the girl? What, what will it be? And so in the musical, you see Marius actually join back with Enholras and all the other guys as they're preparing for this grand story, this greater story, this bigger story, this revolution. And they kind of pick on him, you know, where's your head at? Where are you, what are you, who are you thinking about? You look like you've seen a ghost. And he's, he basically says, I'm in love. And he tells this, you know, the story about how he was swept off his feet when he saw Cosette. And what I really think is interesting about this this one scene, the, the, the music, the song is called Red and Black. And it's this back and forth argument between Marius, who's in love, and Enohoros, who wants to tell the, the revolutionary story. And they're, they're, they're trying to say, well, what do we do? What do we do with this story? I, I want to be a part of a bigger story, but I have, this, I have this little story I want to tell myself. I have this way that I want to stand out in the story. I, I want my story to matter, too. And I think about that a lot. I think about it a lot because actually I think I can see it, I think I can see it in our own society, this tension, this conflict. Can I be a part of the, the whole? Can I fit into the many? Or, or can I stand out as the one? Could you, could you maybe describe that as the problem the United States faces in, in some of the tension that we, we see? I, I think so. Right. What do, what do we see? We have a society that says things like you do you, you know, prioritize you, your story. You, you don't let any other voice dictate to you what you will do with your story. But on the other hand, we're living in a time and space in our country's history where we're trying to ha help people of privilege to see that injustice needs to be worked against even if it's not happening to them, right? We're asking them to care about the larger story, right? We're saying, we get it. Your story is going pretty well right now, but there are people whose story isn't going the way that it ought to. They're being treated in ways that they don't deserve to be treated. You should care about the larger story. Don't we see that the society is conflicted? 
Don't we see people saying, wait, you told me most of my life that I should prioritize myself, and now you're telling me that I should prioritize the larger story of, of, of what's happening to people who aren't me. And, and I don't think history has handled this very well, actually, this tension. I'm not sure that there's really any worldviews that have really handled this, this, well, famous philosophical problem of the one and the many. What do we start with in society? Do we start with the individual or should we start with the larger story, with the many? Let me just tell you how I actually think the only worldview that can handle this is Christianity. I mean, that's probably not a surprise to you because here we are, right? We're a church and we are uh, deeply invested into the Christian story, into the story that God is telling. But let me just tell you, I think that, that this tension is handled perfectly by God in Christ who created the church, who dreamed of the church. Because I think what we see when we look at Scripture is we see this. We see a God who has always dreamed of a people where every person would matter. Can you see it? God has always dreamed of a people where every person would matter, gathering together a people uh, in his name, uh, reflecting his image, uh, reflecting the, the heavenly community, a people of God where every person would matter. Can we see how the one and the many are found perfectly together in Scripture, in the story that God is telling? You can look maybe in Genesis chapter 12 and see how Abraham is called out. And, and the idea is maybe we would, we would maybe prioritize the story of Abraham as an individual, but God says, no, 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 I actually called you out so that you can help me make a people, right? What does Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 say? All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is dreaming of a people. I actually said uh, a few weeks back, all of God's dreams come true. Uh, and, and, and part of his dream is that we would lean into those dreams, into those stories. Part of his dream is that our story would be grafted into his story. Yeah, you see that with Abraham. You see, you see with Exodus chapter 19, the people of God have been brought out of Egypt. And he says, listen, I'm going to make you into a, 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 a holy nation, a priesthood. You're going to help me bless the nations. You can look at Galatians chapter 3 where Paul says, there's not Jewish people or Greek people. There's not male, female. There's not slave or free. We're all a people together. A, a people of God where every person matters. Where, where that tension between wanting to be a part of the many, being a part of a story that's larger than ourselves, is, is satisfied alongside a deep desire for, for personal significance. Yeah, you can see that deep desire for personal significance all over the place. Look at Genesis chapter 11 and the people who are building the Tower of Babel. What do they say? They say, let us make a name for ourselves. What does God tell Abraham? He says, I will make a name for you. Why? Because he's saying all the things that you're scrambling to do, the ways that you're telling your story on your own and for your own benefit won't scratch the itch that you're reaching for. You, you need your story to actually fit into mine for it to, 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 to satisfy. And this is exactly what God accomplishes through Jesus when he establishes the church. What does 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 say? It says, once you were not a people, but now you're a people. You used to be individual people telling your story, but now, now you as persons belong to the many. You as individuals belong to the many. That's right. Our story belongs to the story. Our story is best told when it's a part of the larger story. 
a, a story that, that points to the fact that God has always dreamed of and has accomplished a people where every person matters. It shouldn't surprise us, I think, that God can work on these different levels, right? I mean, he's God. I don't think it should surprise us that he can work on these different levels all at once, where he can, he can bring together the deep desire for the one and the many all together at the same time. It's actually, I think, ingrained in the way he tells his story. I think if we wanted to encapsulate his story, we've been talking a lot about story. This is the end of the series, Bless 10, remember, where the second S represents story. And we're thinking about how our story being told brings honor to the story that God is writing. Well, look at that story and the rhythms and the way it fits all together. One way you can encapsulate the story is what you might call a meta narrative, a grand story arc. And it starts like this. God's love for us. All the classical theologians say that it's God's love that prompted him to create, that creation was an act of love. So it starts with God's love for us. But of course, we respond by rejecting his love. And, and, and God sets about right away to, to fix that through his sacrifice. We see hints of it all over scripture, that God is going to sacrifice in order to, to, to mend the story that he's telling from the damage that we've done to it. So God's love, our rejection, God's sacrifice, our, our faith. Uh, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith. Much like what Pastor Mike said last week, this faith response. And because of this faith response or in and through this faith response, God is bringing about the restoration of all things. What is this meta narrative that you can see that is maybe a good description of scripture from beginning to end? God's love as seen in creation, our rejection of that love, God's sacrifice, our faith response in accepting that sacrifice, accepting that love, and then God's restoration. Isn't that the story? Isn't that the story from the beginning to the end? Creation and then re-creation. The, the dream that God had to create a people, a dream that was um, marred by sin, a dream that was damaged by human beings uh, rejecting that dream, and now God recreating to bring about this people. This is, this is all of history. It's, it's the entirety of Scripture. But like I said, it's, it's not just the many, it's also the one. The, the small stories also fit into that story. You can look lots and lots of different places. Let's look at John 3.16. Let's look at John 3.16 because it's super familiar. And I think what you can see when you look at John 3.16 is how the one story fits in with the many. How the individual story fits into the whole. How our story fits into the story God's telling. How it's grafted into his story. John 3.16, the context here, of course is that the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, has some questions. He's not really sure how Jesus fits into the grand story. Well, Jesus tells him. And here's what he says in John 3.16, which I probably shouldn't even need the Bible to, to say to you, but here it is. For God so loved the world, it starts with love. That's, remember, the reason God even created, it starts with love. But who did he, he love? He loved the world. Now, in, in the context of Scripture, the, the word world actually takes on a larger connotation 
especially for John. As a theologian, the Apostle John uses the word world to mean those people who have rejected God. What is it we're seeing? For God so loved the people who rejected him. God's love, our rejection, his sacrifice. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. God's love, our rejection, his sacrifice, his giving of his one and only son. And, and our faith response. That's the fourth one, right? What do we see next? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, our faith, whoever believes in him, that's our faith, our faith response. Now, we could get into all kinds of details about where does this faith response come from. Uh, most theologians would say it takes the prevenient grace of God to prompt our uh, faith response, that we couldn't have done it on our own. And I'm, I'm happy to say that because God's love is so all-encompassing that every good thing initiates is, or is initiated by his love. But notice what God is going to do with this faith response, right? What does he say? He says, shall not perish but have eternal life. A restoration, a restoration of the way things were supposed to be. Now, when we look at John, another thing that we get out of the quality of this is when we see words about life, about eternal life, we would be remiss if we started to say like, oh, that's about how long life is going to last. I don't think that's the point John is making, actually. Uh, very, very often, uh, the, the connecting point is found in John 10.10, 10, life abundant. Not just a quantity of life, but a quality of life. A quality of life that says, my story fits perfectly into the story. My life is lived in a way that points to life. My life is abundant in that I join Jesus in giving other people life. And like I said, you could see this plenty of places. We could do this maybe for hours. You, you could look at John 3.16. You could look at the life of Paul. What do you see with Paul? You see God's love providing uh, a pretty privileged upbringing, education, and uh, a, a position in life. And what do we see Paul do with it? Well, he rejects God. What does God do? Even though Paul has rejected him, he, he interrupts Paul's travel. He, 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 he makes himself vulnerable in this sense of saying, like, I'm gonna, God attaches his reputation to this murderer, Paul. It's a sacrificial moment. He interrupts Paul's journey to Damascus. He says, why are you persecuting me? I've got bigger, bigger plans for you. And what does Paul do? He responds in faith. He goes to the, the house of Ananias. He, he goes to the desert for three years and he studies in faith. And what does God do? He restores. He restores Paul and uses Paul's story to tell the story. Or Peter. Uh, the, the love of God put on display in calling Peter. Maybe somebody who had been passed by in other ways in life, but Jesus says, follow me. And Peter says, yes, but can we not see that Peter sometimes rejects God's story. What else is happening when, when Peter tells Jesus, no, I'll never let you sacrifice, right? I'll never let you do that. I'll never let that happen to you. And Jesus has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. What is that other than a rejection of the way of Jesus, right? Well, what comes next is Jesus sacrificing for Peter, even though Peter has actually denied him, rejected him. But what we see from Peter 
wrapped up in this restoration is a faith moment where Peter says, yes, I love you. You know I love you. You know everything, God. You know everything, Jesus, and I love you. That faith response is used by God, used by Jesus, for a full-on restoration in John chapter 21. And this full-on restoration, notice how it turns Peter towards the rest of the world. How Peter's story now becomes a way to tell God's story. What happens to Peter is that he leaves the nest, in a sense. He leaves the safety of his own, uh, own job of, of, of fishing. He could have been comfortable the rest of his life. And he says, no, 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 I'll make myself vulnerable so they can be safe. I want my story to be grafted into the story. And so he goes on about telling God's story. And he loses his life in Rome doing it. We could look other places, not just the Gospels. You could look like at the prophet Jonah. What is the story of Jonah other than God's love, Jonah's rejection of that love, and rejection of how that love would apply to all people everywhere all the time, and, and, and God's sacrifice of actually allowing Jonah to bear his name in such illegitimate ways, in such disastrous ways, misrepresenting God at every turn. But finally, there is a faith response from Jonah. And God uses it to restore. What happens? The people of Nineveh, this shocking things happen. The, the people of Nineveh are restored. What I want you to notice about this is each time the individual story was fitting into the story, each time the, the small story was being grafted into the grand story, each time the one and the many were coming together, it, it, it actually happened in such a way that the, that the inward-looking person the person who was looking inward towards their safe community, towards their comfortable life, then turned outward. Right? What's true about Jonah is actually that he was safe behind the borders of Israel. During his lifetime, the borders had been restored. And God said, no, 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 I want you to face outwards. Come with me. I'm sending you somewhere. And, and Jonah's rejection was a rejection of just that. He didn't want to go where God was going. He didn't want to be uncomfortable like that. But when Jonah finally does turn and let his story be grafted into the story, he's outward facing. This is the rhythm of the church. In each case, we see the rhythm of the church put on display, whether it's in the life of Paul or Peter or Jonah, or just looking at this beautiful verse, John 3:16, and the way that Jesus is teaching Nicodemus through this phrase, what do we see each time? We see that the church gathers for worship and then scatters for a vocation. We, we, we gather for worship to tell God's story to each other, to, to hear one another's stories, and then we scatter for vocation. That is to say, to join God in telling his story elsewhere. Jonah needed to get out beyond the borders of Israel. Peter needed to leave the nets behind with the fishing uh, boats. Paul needed to leave the, the temple system behind. All these things were comfortable for these people, and God was saying, yes, we've gathered for worship, but now that you know the story and now that you have a story, you need to go tell it. You need to realize that every single moment is an opportunity. Every single moment that, that happens in your life is an opportunity for telling the story. Uh, Actually, chapter 8 of the Blessed 10 book, I think, does a magnificent job of talking about this way that we need to start posturing ourselves towards the story, not filling up our days so full with a to-do to -do list or, or, or other ways of crowding out God's story, but, but, but allowing God's story to be told in and through us.
each time a, a moment comes along in our day, it, it ought to be our rhythm to think, okay, uh, how am I thinking about this? Am I thinking about this in terms of, of, of the grand story, of God's story? Am I thinking about how will this story be grafted into God's story? Or do I have my, do I have, have my uh, ideas, uh, my, my uh, sort of forced agenda on the minds? Have I filled up my days so full or have I made my days so busy that, that there's no story that can be told through it? I have to recognize this. I have to recognize this. If my story is ever going to fit into God's story, be grafted into God's story, I'm going to have to leave more space. I might say this. My life is too busy to be full. It's too busy to be full, to be, to be full of the abundant life because I keep passing by people on the road on the way to you know, my agenda for the day when God is saying, wait, I've got a big story to tell right here, right now. Would you leave space for that story, right? Because what we find is that God wants to be telling this grand story all the time. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 28, when Paul is telling the story to the Greeks in Athens. He finishes this way. He says, you know what? You have these poets, and, and, and they're right. We are sons of God. And this God, who you don't really know about, I want to tell you about him. You call him an unknown God. I want to tell you about him. Because this God, he's the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And I wonder if I've been so busy filling up my day that it can't be full of the story God is telling. I wonder if there's ways that I have prioritized the one story of my life over and against the grand story that God is telling. What I'm praying for, what I'm hoping for in my life as I grow and as I, as I adventure towards the heart of God, I'm hoping that I will have eyes to see, eyes to see God as he's moving, eyes to see it when it comes. I, I'm hoping like Zacchaeus, I'll climb any tree to see it. And then when I see it, I hope I have the, the wherewithal to talk about it. When I've seen this beautiful thing, because I really believe that, that God intends for my story to be grafted into his story. That he's telling a grand and beautiful story and that, that he wants to invite me into it. I really believe that because our God is ascending God. Look, look for instance, at Exodus chapter 3. You look at Exodus chapter 3 and we know that God's about to tell a grand story. If, if you ask Israel, he's about to tell the story. He's about to act in history in such a way as to change history, as to change everything. This grand story that he's telling, it, it's, it, it's interesting to note where it sort of begins here in Exodus chapter 3. If you look at verse 7, what we find is Moses was out in the desert. He's connected to the Midianites now and pretty comfortable. He's a shepherd and his life's pretty good. He's married and family, all that. So what we see here is now God is calling him out of that story and grafted into a bigger story. And this is where the burning bush happens. And, and, and God says, listen, Moses, I'm trying to tell a story, and I need you to be a part of it. I want to tell this really beautiful story, this grand story, and I want your story to be grafted into it. Look what it says. 
look at all the times in this passage from verse 7 to verse 10 where God says, I have, I am. He, he's saying, I'm doing these things. And then at the end, notice how it includes Moses, how God's dream is to include Moses. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you. Pharaoh, to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says, I'm, I'm on about making a people. And here's how, here's how we're going to demonstrate that we're going to make a people where every person matters. Moses, your story matters. I need, you, I need you to come along with me to tell this story. Tell it with me. But, but we notice, actually, in the next few verses that this is a little bit uncomfortable for even Moses it's a way of outward facing that he has to defer to. It's not his number one choice. He says, I don't think I'm a good choice. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh is what he says. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to redeem the entire story. I'm going to use everything about your childhood. I'm going to use it to tell a grand story. Your story is going to fit in with the many. We're going to make a people where every person matters. Come along. Come with me. I think Moses in this moment, as he defers, realizes like John the Baptist later realized, that, that God must increase and, and we must decrease. Just like it says in John chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. His story is, is where my story fits. His story is where my story belongs. It, it, if I ever want my story to have the significance I'm dreaming of, it, it, it's going to have to be locked into place and grafted in by this God I'm coming to serve. I need to become a part of the whole. Like in Romans chapter 12 or, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Christ as the head then animates the rest of the pieces of the puzzle, fits the body together so that everyone comes to know that every piece matters, every part matters as it contributes to the whole as it's grafted in. The, the Paul, the St. Paul who told us about Christ being the head of the body and every other piece fitting in, he's the same one who told us that God is grafting people into his story in Romans 11, verses 17 through 24, where he's talking about the Gentiles being grafted in. This is God's dream. It's been his dream from the very beginning that his people, his people would be a people where every person matters, where each individual story would honor the grander story. This restorative, beautiful, redemptive story. God's been asking us to tell this story all the time, ever since the beginning. For instance, the grand story for the Israelites was the Exodus. What do you see when you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, other than God saying, and here's how you're going to tell the story. Right? We have the 10 plagues, and then you get to chapter 12, and the Passover is going to happen, and the Exodus is going to take place, and the, the narrative stops. And God says, anywho, here's what's next. You need to learn to tell this story. Tell it to each other three times a year. 
Tell it to each other in, this, in these festivals. Celebrate the story. Live it out. Tell it and retell it. Tell it to your children. Like in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, as you're walking along the road and as you're lying down, as you're sitting down to eat, tell the story. Tell how our story fits in with the story. Tell how, how the one and the many are brought together by the God who dreamed of it all. This is what Blessed 10 does for us. It, it would be right for us to, to know the story of the Exodus and the, and the rhythms of the Exodus. It would be right for us to do that. What is Blessed 10 other than creating those rhythms in our lives where we're thinking, okay, today my part of the story is to, is to begin with prayer. Today, my part of the story is to listen to someone else's story, honoring that every person matters in the people of God, right? Uh, today, my part of the story is to provide a meal to eat. Today, my part of the story is to serve. And then when the moment comes, the part of the story may arrive where it's your turn to speak, to tell the story, to, to tell how your story points to the story to tell how the, the rhythms of grace in your life have brought you into a uh, people of God where every person matters. Because here's what Jonah needed to know. Here's what Peter needed to know. Here's what Paul needed to know. Moses, Abraham, Ruth, Esther, Priscilla and Aquila, Chloe, Junia, every single one of them. What do they need to know? They needed to know that to, to be rescued is to rejoice. To be rescued by God is to rejoice. That is to tell the story. Have you ever seen something beautiful and then never told anyone about it? Did you ever go on a trip and not say anything about it to anyone? No, you didn't. You never have because the human thing is to rejoice when we encounter beauty. And there's nothing more beautiful than having been rescued by God. To be rescued is to rejoice, but... To be fully restored is to participate in the rescue of others. We gather for worship to tell our stories and then we scatter for vocation so that we can join God in the story that he's telling. Like Jonah needed to join God in the story that he was telling. Like Peter and Paul and everyone else needed to join God in the story they were telling. Yes, to be rescued is to rejoice, to, to, to tell of the beautiful story that God is telling, that God is bringing about. But to be be restored is to participate in the rescue of others. And these rhythms that Bless 10 can help root us in. And then, as God's story is arcing towards the restoration of all things, we have to say this too. The redemption of all things is a story that needs to be told and retold over and again. It's why we gather on Sundays. We gather as a restored people who tell the story of restoration. Uh, restoration, the redemption of all things, is a story that needs to be told and retold. Just like God asked of the Israelites in Exodus chapter 12. Just like he asked of Peter when he restored him in uh, John 21. He said, okay, now, follow after me. Tell the story my way. Let's go. Right? What did all these people learn? They learned that to be rescued is not simply to add God into our story, but to be grafted into his. A story that he has not stopped telling. A story that he wants to tell to more and more people because he's dreaming of a people where every person matters, where every story matters. The one and the many coming together in the heart of God. 
celebrating the actions of God and lifting up the praises of the people of God, a people where every person matters. Let's get to work.